Hello, my fellow sovereigns, and welcome back to another episode of The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to be here with you and my guest today, Angel Hiles, because Angel is actually one of our communication queens. She is the winner of our communication queens contest that we hold for the person who books the most amount of podcasts within the program. And within just six weeks, Angel booked five podcast episodes. She booked her first within three weeks and then the other two after. So this is her sixth podcast episode that she has ever appeared on, on The Princess and the Bee. And that just goes to show you how efficient this program is at producing results. Now, what makes Communication Queens different than any other program out there is I don't just teach you how to get booked on podcasts. I teach you how to profit from podcasts. So you will learn how to use guest podcasting and if you have your own podcast, your own podcast into a profitable lead generation funnel for your business. Within 50 episodes of me doing guest podcasting, I generated over $70,000 in new business, which is huge and totally possible. And inside of Communication Queens, I teach you exactly how to show up, stand out, share your story, serve, and sell in a way that turns guest podcasting into a super fun, easy lead generation strategy where you, as the visionary leader, as the messenger and the marketer of your business, where you get to stand in your genius zone and do your thing. That's the beauty is that, especially as a mom with two kids under five, I don't have time for lead generation strategies that don't work and that take a ton of time. Guest podcasting is simple, and what I'm going to teach you inside of Communication Queens is super simple. All it requires is a bit of structure, strategy, and intention, which I'll show you exactly what to do inside of Communication Queens. And now for my favorite part, I get to brag on how awesome our Communication Queen students are, especially Angel, who is our guest today. Angel has an impressive clinical background treating many hundreds of people, including children, adolescents, adults, and couples. Working previously as a school-based therapist in rural and inner-city schools, Angel became no stranger to the traumas inflicted all too often during the most vulnerable early childhood years. Left untreated, these traumas can go on to inform and shape so many adult futures. At Holistic Healing, Mind, Body, and Spirit, Angel utilizes the power of spirit, mindfulness, and meditation practices as the foundation and preparation for the mind and body to be more open and receptive to the therapeutic relationship and clinical process. Angel has experience treating anxiety, ADHD, self-esteem, relationship issues, codependency, depression, trauma, anger management, life transitions, addiction, and grief. In this episode, some very important points I want you to listen out for as Angel divulges her story and her expertise is to really listen and understand how she breaks down relational communication so that you can heal those unhealthy attachments and start building up strong communication boundaries for yourself and the ones you love. And be sure you listen to the end of this podcast because at the end, Angel gives you a very simple communication strategy that you can implement right away if you are experiencing conflict in any one of your relationships. With this communication strategy, you will 
be able to cultivate greater understanding of yourself and of the person you're communicating with. I highly, highly recommend it as I have used it in my own personal relationships, especially with my little four-year-old who is currently challenging everything I say in order to cultivate a stronger empathy and awareness of emotions and emotional understanding. And it works with your four-year-old or with your 44 or 54-year-old spouse. So listen to the end, enjoy the episode, and if Communication Queens feels aligned for you for building your business using other people's podcasts, then definitely get your booty in. We are open full business right now. And now I give you Angel Hiles. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to be here with you. My guest today is Angel. She is an angel, Hiles, sent from above, and she is one of my amazing Communication Queen students who won our contest because she booked the most amount of podcast interviews. Was it five, Angel? Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. Five. And here's the thing. She hasn't even completed the course. (laughs) How far in are you? Like, how far far in did you get? Are you ready for this? (laughs) Let's go. Do it. (laughs) So both grateful and embarrassed at the same time. So I, maybe the first module, I listened to something. I've downloaded all the beautiful spreadsheets and things, but I've not implemented. And, but I basically signed up for podcastguests.com, did the profile, like started that. And then I applied to podcasts. I did not even like get to complete some of the other beautiful assignments that we were given and templates you know, and all those things I have not, but I do plan on it. And there's so much wonderful information in this program so far. And then I was on, I did the module two and, and three. I just listened to those videos, but nonetheless, I didn't even get to the other two websites that we can do for podcasts, but I did podcast guests and I have been very blessed so far and got booked by just asking. (laughs) And actually, um, my Instagram, when I did a a reel on breathing, somebody reached out to me for um, a podcast based on that. They saw that. So I thought that was a beautiful thing. And God is good. Amazing. You're you're putting the vibe out there. And it's right. Seek and you shall find ask and you shall receive. And so it's angel. Angel definitely received massively. And like, so that's like only like not even 30%, like that's about 30, 25, 30% of the course. And, and yet 
five podcast bookings from one of the strategies that you put into place. I'm blown away. That makes me so, so radically happy. Absolutely. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't even know any of that existed. So I wouldn't have known any of this existed without you. So thank you very much. It's been Absolutely. I'm learning every single day by doing it and meeting wonderful people. So can't ask for anything more than that. So aside from being a communication queen, you are a therapist and you specifically deal with attachment therapy and working with addictive behaviors and trauma. So I'd love to dive in to what are the patterns with like last year was really rough for many mm. people. This year has been challenging for many people in a different way. And what are the patterns that you're seeing in your profession with the people that you're seeing in the types of trauma from the just the past two years of, of experience of our human experience on this planet? Sure. Well, you know, since we are created to be in connection with one another, the pandemic was a horrific experience for many people because we couldn't do that, right? We can't, couldn't see people in person and connect other than our, you know, immediate family members. And unfortunately, people with unresolved attachment wounds or even trauma, not just attachment wounds, um, if they're in unhealthy toxic environments, you know, domestic violence and abuse and things like that. They were in these very awful circumstances and really no other escape because we weren't allowed to go anywhere. So unfortunately, those type of things were were on the rise, right? Like so more violence and abuse and and then therefore substance use and other addictive behaviors were on the increase too. And um, just because they don't have, they're lacking quality and effective coping skills. So it's just a very sad situation to be in. But yeah. the good news is through all that, even though that was happening, people are asking for help. People are getting the help. And I love that it seems like it's more and more. I see so many outreach programs and I was able last year to work specifically with people with substance use disorders and of course with trauma history, but it was first like working with the substance use and it was a faith-based Christian program. And just to see that transformation too, when people really embraced and surrendered to their issue, right. To the trouble, to the problem at hand and allowed, you know, God to intervene. And it was just a beautiful part to play you know, a small part to facilitate change and to listen and to provide that safe space for them. I don't know if I answered any of your question. I just, you, you did. No, you uh, did perfect. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing well, is, is looking at attachment, like one of the things that I constantly see people struggle with, and I struggle this, with this myself is forgiveness. Hmm. And so how does forgiveness, and I know you come from a faith-based background of forgiveness. Sometimes that one is just so hard. So how as a therapist do you guide people to being able to cultivate a practice for, for forgiveness, at least for themselves, of self-forgiveness? Well, that is the process, right? We, you know, we don't get to forgiveness, you know, right out of the gate. So it is slowly building just a, a relationship, a, a safe space. And, you know, how I start off everything is more of one slow and steady 
getting to know, building trust, right? Because with trauma, trust is the first thing that gets altered, right? A safety, you know, we don't feel safe. We feel helpless, terrified, confused, you know, just everything is flipped upside down. And trust is not easy to come by. We don't even trust our bodies, ourselves, people, the world. So building that is number one. And then, you know, educating is very important because people don't understand emotions very well, nor are we ever taught that, right? Not, it wasn't in my family, that's for sure. And I also wasn't raised in a a strong Christian home or, or even just like a faith-based, you know, it, I was very, not to talk about me, but I was a lot. So I, another thing I think that helps me be relatable is because I, I do know that pain and to have regret, regrettable incidences, you know, and choices and carrying shame. Right. And so to your point of where we self-attack, where we judge ourselves, we learn this punishment where oftentimes the messages that were shared with us growing up was, you know, if you make a mistake or, oh my gosh, I have to be perfect or I get in trouble or I'm going to hell or I'm bad. And, you know, and all these misbeliefs that we accept to be true and just lead us to shame, right? To want to hide, to protect ourselves because nobody wants to think that we're bad or that we're going to get rejected and not be accepted. So we, we hide these parts and then we you are led to do other things in, in the dark, which then feeds more shame. And if we don't know how to experience it or talk about it, you know, we just suffer alone and we don't have to because there's so many people that have these hidden parts, you know, that have these wounds mm-hmm. and talking about it is okay. You know, we don't, it's throwing the judgment out the window where we think if we talk about it, then right, then people judge and then they attack yeah. and then they criticize and and who wants that? Like I get it, nobody does. But when you have a safe space for that, and of course timing, who do I trust with this is very important. But there's nothing to be ashamed about. And so that forgiveness piece is learning where one, where you learned how to criticize. You know, where did that come from? Kind of really exploring the root of that and then establishing how you measure your worth and where your identity is and how do you define all of that so i think that's mm. very important so powerful and and with what you said about judgment and trauma and, and the fears of the shame of of coming out with it and and the pressure sometimes that it feels mm. i mean i just gave a, a ted talk and i where i subtly revealed um, some trauma that I experienced in my childhood and that my dad had given me full permission back when he got sober to to share um, that he had molested me as a child. And yet the experience, like I, I said, I'd never share this until, you know, he'd passed and he passed in January. And he said, I want you to share this because his trauma was passed on like that. It was something that he had experienced. And it was through the process of like for weeks, my, my Ted prep for the talk, which was like this fear. And I'm going to, I felt like I was like, I need to actually reveal this. And I asked my mom, I said, well, what are people going to think about you? And cause you, you stayed with him for all those years. And, and she's like, I, I don't care what people think about me. This is your story. This is your thing. Your dad wanted you to share this. And 
I said, okay. And so I, I revealed it and I was like, oh boy, I was waiting for the family backlash. And every single family member reached. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like your dad would be so proud of you. You're so strong. You're so like, and I was like, all the judgments, all the stories that I thought I would have in my mind because of sharing this, of taking the the healing to a whole new level, not even real, completely not even real stories. And so what are the common stories that you're seeing once people feel open to, because there's the healing that happens with ourselves and then the healing that happens within the relationship and then the openness of being able to discuss. Do people ever like, do many people get to that stage where they're able to be open and honest and aware of sharing what their what the the depths of their story are? I can't really speak, you know, accurately about a number of, you know, who how many people get to that space, but some of the people that I know personally that have been, you know, in recovery for at least a few years and more and are actively giving back, they share their story very well and of course with some emotions still that comes up because yeah i mean it's so much to be proud of to overcome and not forgetting that pain of that was a part of their story but it's not defining their story anymore and now it's being used to help others and there's so much power in that and thank you for sharing your story right like that really speaks to other people and gives them permission to not think of it in a shame based. It's, it is your story. You know, we have that permission if we experienced it and we want to share it like this, this happened to me. And it doesn't mean that we, that it deems other people bad either. And I, sometimes people don't want to talk about some of their, their pain. And I get that often in session that they're like, well, it wasn't, they're not bad, you know, and it's, it's okay to still talk about your feelings, your experience, we're not saying anybody's a horrible person or bad, but you get to honor what happened to you. And so often that's what is trapped, right? And displaced is because we didn't feel safe enough to experience at the time. So it kind of gets, you know, trapped in over here and over there. And we, mm-hmm. you know, numb ourselves or we then go seek pleasure in other areas because we've shut off our heart or we've, you know, don't even experience our bodies. And, you know, so many things take place under, you know, beneath our awareness. It just is a subconscious reaction, like an automatic survival instinct kicks in. And that takes time over and over, like to reveal a new aspect, right? If, if, if it wasn't just one isolated incident injury, you know, and we've had ongoing different traumas, then we have that much healing to do. And especially Mm -hmm. the point of generational patterns, which happen all the time. And sexual abuse is a very unfortunate reality that is, happens a lot. I don't know actually the statistic anymore, if it's like one one out of five, one out of 10. I mean, it's, it's a lot. I believe it was like one in four girls and one in six boys. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I would be curious to see if it was actually higher for boys just because men are not conditioned typically to share right. about 
those experiences because of the the shame and the stigma of being a man mm-hmm. and repair repairing this and sadly um with the pandemic and the lockdowns that that was something that was also on the rise as well for people who don't have a coping mechanism all uh, right so, so how do you build those secure attachments how do, how do you heal those those ruptures how do you start this healing journey Look in that it's a, a slow and steady pace there, but um, the trust is always foundational, right? Because that is the injury and at the root, right? That we don't feel safe and secure within ourselves. And therefore, when we experience other people, if we can't experience ourselves in a safe way, have this loving relationship with ourselves, how on earth are we going to create that with someone else, right? So. I know it's such a, like a cliche, or we say, is it really that simple? And it is that simple, but it's not easy to transform sometimes, right? When we're just so used to living life that way for, again, society or family culture, or, you know, all different messages that come in though, if we're used to gossip and, you know, it's so much easier to, of course, talk about other people that help us feel better, right? When we're feeling down about ourselves, and want people to join into our misery or lift us up, you know, and that's a human instinct, right? When we're feeling low, we want to condemn others. And then sometimes we have to beef ourselves up to just feel better. So we tend to, you know, think we're better than people, you know, so it's this unhealthy teeter-totter of trying to feel good about oneself, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, learning how to establish the healthy self. So when we realize what that has in common is contempt, right? When we hold other people in contempt, it's, you know, grandiosity. When we hold ourselves in contempt, we create that toxic shame, right? That we're just feeling bad about ourselves. That makes sense. So when we can just really truly learn and establish a warm regard for ourselves and know that nobody's better nor worse. And we can make mistakes even when we do and make bad choices that that doesn't separate us from our worth, that it, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't give us permission to do whatever we want to do. It just means we don't have to be labeled as awful human beings when we make painful errors or when we hurt people's feelings. But it does take acknowledgement when that happens. You know, hey, I messed up. That was hurtful. I'm sorry. Right. And then we return to that. But again, holding yourself in that warm, nurturing regard to know that and others, right? So when other people hurt our feelings, we just don't jump and hold them in contempt and think you're awful and you're just cut off, right? That indicates typically there is some kind of injury there, right? Because a secure attachment, the signs of secure attachment are, you know, we're playful, we can be flexible, we're adaptable, we don't take things personally, right? Like we know that we have worth and even in an interaction when something might go um, misunderstood or there's misattunement there, that it doesn't, you know, fracture my whole world. Oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and so in creating that, you know, it's that slow and steady how to build it, how to build that trust is I'm going to show up for you. 
I'm listening. I'm learning how to tune into my own needs and feelings. So therefore, when you're experiencing your feelings, I'm here for you. And I'm going to allow that, right? That, so if you're needing to scream and shout, or, you know, you just want to tell me that you feel lousy or angry and I don't know why. And, you know, I just feel so irritated when you don't do the dishes or, you know, it's okay. I hear you. So what can I do? You know, it's not like, what? Well, you don't do that either. And, you know, and then we go on the defense and that's a natural human instinct, but it's allowing that space that you can have your experience. I can have mine. I'm showing that you matter to me because I'm listening to you and I'm going to show up for you. And I'm consistently going to acknowledge that. And the more we show up for ourselves and for other people, that builds that trust, right? That when if you unload on me of your internal world, right? Not in an attacking way, just this is what I'm experiencing. And I show you that I can handle that, right? I can keep that in a container in my safe space over here and support you. You know, that is so freeing. That's such a safe space to be in that you can have that inner world and I'm not enmeshed in that. And I can support you through it. That creates such a bond and such a beautiful moment where energy is being exchanged in a safe and healthy interaction. Oh, yeah. It's, I have the examples both from, from, like, I see it in my own life with my relationship with my husband, who just is like amazing at holding space for me to experience whatever it is that I'm experiencing compared to like my first husband, my, <laughs> my trial run, where it was constant attacking. I felt criticized every time. I felt judged every time he would say something. I would attack back. And so it was this constant bickering. But mm-hmm. it was because of the lack of attachment that I hadn't yet healed, like the, well, mm-hmm. the, the attachment problems that I hadn't yet worked through and healed. And now with my with my forever husband, he's like, oh my gosh, just, I'm like, I can say I'm feeling this, this, and this. I don't know why. And he's like, okay. He just holds the holds the space because he trusts that also I'm going to be able to figure it out. And with with the attachment patterns, like I see it all the time with with clients, whether they're attached to a certain outcome as well in their business, or if they're attached to a certain relationship and they're having those experiences. So where do, how do we start developing healthy attachments and healthy boundaries? So, uh, you know, just speaking to relationships since that was kind of brought, um, because that's a great question, right? We can definitely have expectations and, and have that. And that's kind of, how we can get off point sometimes because, you know, we want things to look, look a certain way. We expect marriage to look like X, Y, Z, you know, we want our business to be here by 90 days or, you know, a year and, you know, all those crazy expectations that we can put on. Yeah. And then that creates all that pressure. And then when it's not looking like that, we are feeling stressed. And, you know, again, according to maybe the beliefs that we've established, you know, if, if it activates that old story of I'm not doing enough, right. I'm not good enough, you know, and we're out of the flow and trying to force things. So in a relationship, when 
we're attached maybe to an expectation rather than the present moment it, and the boundaries. It's essentially like, what do I have control over? And what do I not have control over? I have control over my attitude, you know, my actions. What do you think, say, do basically, right? Like I'm going to choose to have a positive perspective about my partner, right? Like that I know and trust that they know what they're doing, that they make responsible choices and together we make a good team and together we're going to figure this out. And I might not know how we get to the end result yet, but together we're going to discuss about it. So it's, yes, you want to keep it, you know, of course, when you're making a plan and, you know, establishing something you're, you're going for it, but it's ultimately the practice of staying in the present moment, right? Like what can we do today? What are our small action steps today? How do I want to, you know, what do I want to focus on? Because of course, where attention goes, energy flows and neurofiring grows, right? Like, so, you know, it's all, I've never that heard focus. that third part. I love that yeah. piece where the neurofiring grows. I'm like, Oh, that you just took it to the next level angel. Like that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> and I love that too. I, so I get all excited just, just like you on that, but I like to just keep it simple, essentially, you know, that is where we all can get off track is when we want to do everything right now. And rather than allowing the pieces to be what they will be, but small steps, just what is truly needed today? How can I enjoy my moment today? Mm. I hope I answered again your question. You did. (laughs) I I mean, I think so you brought up something that was so powerful, which was the power of presence, because mm-hmm. while we can work on these, like we work on the past issues in therapy and we can work on the goal setting stuff in coaching, at the same time, it comes down to those small choices that are in the present moment. And remembering those those choices and it's a process and i think trusting in the process is huge as well i know with like being able to take a deep breath in that moment especially when triggered and just be remind yourself of either what you learned in therapy or what you what your goals are what your intention is for that relationship whatever it is just reminding yourself and taking that breath before acting one of my favorite quotes is in between by victor frankel i love victor frankel he died on my birthday like (laughs) i just i'm like he's so he and i are so synchronistic and he he said between stimulus and response we have a choice there's a gap and that gap is our choice and i remember the first time hearing that when i was 17 years old and i was like wait what you mean i don't have to just react to and I wish I heard to, that at 17. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like it took a while for it to sink in. Like I, I heard it, but it was like hearing someone speak a foreign language. And I was like, I know they're speaking another language. I just don't know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And being able to, it took a while for it to sink in, to be able to even speak a few words of that new language of cause and effect. So what got you into psychology and the mind? And tell us a little bit about your background and what, what got you into this profession and well, my own history of trauma, you know, childhood trauma, developmental trauma, attachment trauma, and just my own struggles with that. And typically in relationships and 
just remembering how that I knew something was wrong, but I never knew what it was. Right. And what it was like. So I used to work in the schools and with children and adolescents as well as families, but, and now it's primarily adults and, and couples, but I wanted to work with the kids because I remember what it was like, what it felt like, how much help I needed. Didn't know it. Of course I didn't. It was so weird when I recall it, it's like, I knew I needed help, but didn't know I needed help, you know? And it was such a long process for me to, to be completely transparent. Um, there were, of course, stepping stones where I was, you know, growing and such, but it's like a little bit of here, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, my faith was the foundation, right? That I knew there was something more and trusting because the fear, I knew I wanted to go into this profession in high school. Of course, I went around all the other mountains before I listened to myself, right? And listened to what I knew way back when because of fear and anxiety and doubt and all of those monsters. But when I listened and went, it was like, such an amazing experience because it was so, I want to say easy, but it was right. Right. I knew I was where I needed to be because I wouldn't say learning was a challenge for me, but in certain areas it was, but in this area, it was like just a sponge. It, everything made sense to me. It was just where I needed to be. And so with that, then little by little, as I was studying and becoming a counselor. And then with our continuing ed and, and things like that, I definitely knew I wanted to focus on trauma. I did my internship with chemical dependency and then I worked, well, my practicum was with the children and adolescents. And then I went to the chemical dependency and domestic violence, like a shelter, and then went into the schools. And then I started learning more about relationships and couples on top of the, the trauma work when that's always ongoing. I'm always learning about neuroscience relationships and trauma. So that's basically my, my wheelhouse. And um, of course, energy, spiritual component, faith, because I truly believe that that element is an essential part of the piece, right? Mind, body, spirit that can accelerate the therapeutic part, the therapy process, it ignites it. And without it, sure, it can be done, but I don't recommend it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I found that the faith practice with whatever it is that, right. whatever it is that you believe, but having some sort of belief in something greater for you, that it connects you to a life that's more purposeful. Yes. that it connects you to a reason as to why we're here and that we are that you are here for a reason and that we may not know what that is right. yet but it's that's that's the process of kind of figuring it out that's that's the great mystery that we are blessed with by being able to be on this planet When we changed our lead generation strategy in 2020 to being from live events, because live events kind of got stopped in 2020, to podcasting, it was really coming from the space of heart and faith and trust and knowing that it was possible to profit from it. Because I'd done it before back in 2019 when I'd signed a $10,000 client 
just from being on a podcast. And I knew that I could repeat the process. And it was through 2020 that we honed and crafted and really designed a strategy that was so effective to not only building brand awareness and getting Crown Yourself out there on multiple podcasts, I've done over a 100 podcast interviews, but now from just 50 interviews in less than nine months, we generated over $70,000 worth of business. And now in my brand new eight-week group coaching program, Communication Queens, I am teaching you exactly how to do it so that you can do it in a way that you don't have to go out and spend $700 a month on some fancy podcasting agency that, by the way, only books you about two to three podcasts per month. With this strategy that I teach inside of Communication Queens, you can get booked on two to five podcasts per week, depending upon how many you want to do, and you'll be getting booked on the podcasts that are aligned with the right audience, with the right strategy, with the right podcasters, so that you attract the right people into your kingdom, into your business. Our communication queens literally started booking podcasts within week two or three. Most of them have booked on multiple podcasts within the first six weeks. So this is a program that not only produces greater brand awareness, you'll get greater confidence in your brand, but you'll actually have the results and you'll see yourself getting booked on regular podcasts as a lead generation strategy and how to use those podcast episodes to create sales in your business. We have businesses from embroidery businesses to consultants to intuitive healers to spiritual coaches to psychologists to arborists to comedians and voiceover artists who have learned how to successfully profit from guest podcasting. So yes, it works for your industry. There are over 2.3 million podcasts currently on Apple Podcasts, and there are definitely even just 10% of those are a fit for your audience, for your brand, and for your business. Let me show you how inside of Communication Queens. When you were dealing with addictive behaviors and especially in, in like domestic shelters, what did you see was the most common thing that got people to that point, that tipping point to where they felt like it went from an occasional user to it's a, it's a habit, it's a problem. I think it's sometimes when it's repetitive enough and they've heard the story enough that okay, you know, change really isn't happening. You've said, sorry, you know, 10 times now and nothing's changing. Um, or of course, when it becomes violent, you know, some hopefully the first time it's violent that somebody seeks help and safety and does not, you know, stay in that environment. But sometimes it, that has to happen more than once for people to seek shelter and remove themselves because fear, I mean, fear is a, unfortunate, effective strategy sometimes for people who, you know, are abusive that keeps the person there. Right. So enough fear or enough suffering usually leads somebody to want help or to recognize that this is not okay. And there's a problem here. And then sometimes too, that element, you know, 
when we're in ourselves a dysfunctional system, especially when we've lived with somebody who is addicted or maybe not addicted to a substance, but some type of addictive behavior where, you know, children can grow up into adults and never use, but have the same behaviors as addicts just because that was the environment. Right? So, but if we are enabling and we're noticing that we can't break out of a cycle also in this enmeshment, right? In this just unhealthy pattern. And then sometimes, you know, that's what leads people also to say, you know, it's basically when you can identify that just things are out of control somewhere in your life that this is controlling me. I am not in control of my life anymore. And basically feels like something, you know, just being flipped upside down. There's no peace, you know, either fear and terror, confusion or anger and sadness, you know, feeling alone and isolated. So if that answers like that, those are typically things that I, I think lead people to get help. What happens when someone normalizes it? Cause like eventually, cause I've talked to a lot of people who have experienced sexual abuse and just friends and peers. And there comes a point where like the realization of like, oh, that wait, that's not normal. Like that's not normal family behavior. That's not a normal attachment. Like I just thought that's how it was. Like I thought that that was fine in families. So how do you deal with when people have made inappropriate relationships normal and how do, and how do you break free from that pattern of the perception of this is normal and familiar? It's a great question. Usually when that comes to light, I'm, I'm hoping enough time has gone by where there's trust, you know, and that there, you know, that therapeutic relationship, but I mean, I'm honest and I will tell you that that is not right or healthy, right? I don't want to use right, but and that is considered abuse or that is considered neglect, enmeshment, enabling, you know, those type of things and explaining it. And that's why I do think education is very important because you're right. We don't know anything else if that is all we know, you know, and there's no fault to anyone. You know, I was one of those people that had no idea either that what I don't know, my families were like this and and it's okay. You know, I just really want people to know that there's no shame that needs to be attached to this. I know we carry it. So I'm not going to say it's there, but it's, we don't need to feel bad about making mistakes or having bad parenting moments or, you know, whatever we may be carrying with us. Once we start learning that some truth or do we need to pause? Uh, so once we start learning that there is some knowledge being shared and that we're making these connections and kind of learning like, oh man, this, that wasn't okay. I knew. And then being more gentle with yourself, like, all right. So I knew that that didn't feel right, but I just thought that's the way it was. And then you can slowly allow yourself to be looking at those areas that typically painful or maybe painful, but it gives you that space to look at it and to hear the, the message being given, right? That, hey, you were a child, 
you were, you did not know that wasn't okay. And let, you know, it's okay. You didn't cause it, you know, it was not your fault. And I'll introduce it that way. If it was more of something that happened as a child, but you know, something as an adult, if, if they're talking about their own marriage or something, you know, or even as couples in front of me and they're engaging in a, you know, an argument and name calling or cutting each other off, you know, I'll speak to that. So if that answers your question. Um, so yeah, I basically will call it out and share and model a healthy, more loving way to communicate what one may be trying to express, but without, and then of course, having that opportunity to dig in to say, where did you learn that? So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of avenues. Oh yeah. And I, and I completely understand. Cause I remember um, it was actually at my dad's memorial that like the joke was with my friends that like my dad would just walk around in his underwear, like all the time. And it's just cause he had no boundaries. Cause he didn't learn that as mm-hmm. a child. Cause he didn't think that that was wrong. And that, that experience of seeing like, wait, that's like, it always felt awkward, but I was just like, I don't know, like this, it seems normal. And it wasn't until like later I had, we had friends like, no, Kim, that's like people wear clothes in their home. Like they wear clothes in their home when company comes over typically. Like, and so it was those experiences that those awakenings where I was like, oh wait, that wasn't normal. That wasn't, that's, that was a pattern. And being able to see and have compassion for that and have compassion as well to see, oh, well, this is like, these were the circumstances that he was raised in. This was his stuff that he was repeating mm-hmm. and how those generational patterns repeat and, and being able to have those conversations and say, hey, look, <laughs> put some pants on <laughs> and and just being able to hold, but from a loving space of, of saying, okay, I understand that this is how it is. That's also not a healthy space. And and having those conversations within those relationships was really helpful. In the last four years of his life, like we developed a really awesome relationship um, that we were able to develop like healthy boundaries, but it wasn't until he got sober from uh, alcohol. That is such an excellent example. That's a great example of boundaries and a person that doesn't have any or much. Right. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm so happy that you guys found healing in that. And another element that is important, right. To try to make boundaries or try to repair with a person who is still intoxicated, using substances, still engaging in addictive behaviors, you know, so having realistic expectations and that would be another boundary to put in place if somebody is still engaging in behaviors that are not helpful, right? That, so again, with enabling versus helping that it's okay to say no, right? Like, so when you're sober or maybe, you know, when you're in a space where you can speak kindly, I'm going, you know, I'll consider talking with you, but for now, you know, I don't want contact with you. And, you know, setting that in place is very important and completely okay, you know, and it's a very painful, confusing time for many that are trying to make sense of that because typically people with addictions, even though they're suffering and want support, they engage in very manipulative behaviors and really do a great job at blaming and making you feel responsible for their problems and how they're living their life. And we 
can't change other people and what feels awful to do the tough love and setting those boundaries is essentially helping because how a skill tips typically is until we suffer natural consequences to our own actions, you know, if people keep bailing us out or, you know, essentially rescuing us from our own consequences, we don't know we have a problem. So we are going to keep in that state and it's stuck. And so it's a very helpful thing to do, even though it might feel very uncomfortable and not loving, but it is a loving thing for somebody to be held accountable for what they're doing with their own life. And of course, then we can, you know, send prayer, loving thoughts and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. To this, to the, literally right before my dad died, like four weeks before he was still thanking me for the intervention that I staged. That intervention was so challenging for me to stage it because I did cut off my relationship with him for six months. Like I didn't talk to him. My husband wrote a very um, strongly worded letter about the way that my dad had been treating me and that he would no longer stand for it um, as my husband. And so we cut all ties from my parents and that 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 transformation from that my dad chose to go down and chose to get sober off of alcohol was so powerful because that also was a time that I because we were separate we had space to do our own healing and then um my son was born and he was able to come back into my son's life sober because that would be the only way that I would have it and he was an amazing grandpa but it would never have happened had i not held this like held the space and had held those boundaries for some serious tough love um for what behavior i would and would not tolerate good for you that's a beautiful moment right an example of that that that's helping that's a healing thing and you honored you and your needs right and trusted that this was out of your hands. You focused on what you had control over and therefore influenced another person to care for their own self. Such a beautiful thing. And it creates ownership because Mm -hmm. my dad owned his results. Like I, he owned the fact that it was his, yes, I was the catalyst, but I didn't make him or force him or, or, you know, say you have to go to rehab or else. I said, your recovery is your own journey. Here's the options. Here you go. I'm out. Bye. Um, This is my boundary. Unless you're sober, you're not allowed to have, we're not going to have a relationship, period. And because that's why ownership is one of my primary values, Mm. my primary company value of just owning those results. So how, how does ownership play into repairing the ruptures? Oh, number one, I imagine (laughs) I haven't been, uh, you know, asked that specifically, but absolutely. We, it's essential. You have to take ownership and responsibility for everything. We all do. If I hurt you, I need to take ownership for that behavior, right. And acknowledge that hurt in you, right. Because otherwise then we're dismissing somebody's experience and, you know, to have secure attachment again and 
to have true intimacy and care for one another, we want to acknowledge those those moments, right? And those are those ruptures and in our secure attachment that will happen, right? We get misaligned, misattuned, and you know, miss some cues here and there, right? We misunderstand we're human beings. So it's they're gonna happen. But again, that grace when I'm knowing that people make mistakes and that it's not a personal attack that, you know, I can acknowledge that and say, oh my gosh, you know what? I am sorry. You know, I will definitely try to do better next time, right? It's, it's always ownership. If we don't take responsibility, you know, it's not going to help repair. You can't repair if somebody doesn't take ownership. Then it's like the rock in the shoe. Yeah. How in a relationship when there is a healthy way, what, what is an example of a healthy way to give criticism or feedback and to receive it? Because yes, you like, yes, you take ownership for your part and ideally the other person takes ownership for their part, but your experience is yours and their experience is theirs. So how do you, how do you define that without having the enmeshment? How do you allow for the feedback and, and constructive criticism? I love yeah, this How do you build question. that? Oh, yeah. To bring <laughs> it on. I can see you're like, I'm ready for this one. This is what I do I all day, every day. Because <laughs> we all want to know, right? Like that's where it can go off the rockers for so many people, right? We want to dig into our defenses and you know, and that's again the attachment system, what's online there, that when we're able to regulate ourselves, right, and we want to stay in that state. So if anytime we recognize we're not in the calm state, right, we'd need to take the time out. So let me just say that, right? So rule number one is always be in a calm, regulated state when you're discussing, you know, stressful topics or, you know, trying to resolve conflict, right? You don't want to be in an angry state or, you know, an activated stress response state. So break. by activated stress response state, would that also mean like if you're sleep deprived or if you're like not nourishing your body or if like you're, you know, if you had a couple glasses of wine, like what is an activated stress response state? Okay, great question. So the activated stress response state is more of, you know, the fight or flight freeze fix, you know, like the heightened stress, the defenses, you know, your alarm is going off, but those are other good points. So if you are exhausted and tired, that's not your calm state. You know, you want to be in your ideal state that you would be in, you know, that you're able to really give and receive and be attentive and nurturing, right? So if we're sleep deprived, our mood's never the greatest if we're sleep deprived. So that's not the time, and especially not when you've had any kind of substances. No. No, 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 no. So we want to be sober. We want to be alert and calm, right? And just in a nice space. So you have my undivided attention. I'm here for you. I'm attentive. I'm tuned in and here for you. So great question. So yes, we want to be in that state when we're talking about conflict or, you know, resolving something. So the rule of, you know, saying, positives like eight to ten positives to to your one negative not a bad idea right like we want to say hey you know i love you and point out you know some positives here but 
a key point is just focus on the issue at hand. So the dishes, you know, when I come home from work and I see that those dishes are still in the sink, I feel completely irritated right away because I tell myself, you don't care if the house is clean or you don't care that I'm stressed or, you know, this is what I tell myself, right? Can you please do the dishes before I get home, right? So it's, I'm expressing what the issue is. I'm not attacking you. I'm not telling you you're stupid and you never do anything. I'm simply stating that those dishes in the sink yell something to me and I am feeling very aggravated and I'm naming my feeling, right? Because everyone's entitled to their own feelings and experience. And again, then there's usually a story. And so what I tell myself is blah, blah, blah. And that's usually going to kick up anger, irritation. And so you know, but I know, and you can even throw that, that you do love me and care about our family. So can you please, what would be helpful is if you could do the dishes, I would really appreciate it. So we want to turn those complaints into requests and in a loving way. And, you know, what can I do for you if there's ever, you know, something, you know, that upsets you, but it's just talking about the behavior. We're not attacking anybody. We're just solving problems. So that's. Mm. I love, I love the way you frame that, especially the story part, really, which really highlights how we as human beings are just meaning makers. Mm. So we're making the dishes mean something about our relationship or we're making X mean Y. And so we're creating this complex equivalence. It doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily true. It's just a belief. And so how as the person who's experiencing that, do you also advise that the person maybe shift the story, shift the meaning around what they're experiencing so that the dishes don't mean that, you know, my partner doesn't love me. Exactly. <laughs> they <don't respect> me. <laughs> exactly. So sh changing, changing the meaning of that story as well as also asking for the request and the change in the behavior. Exactly on point. That's exactly right. And most often awesome. even walking through somebody with that, they already can do it on their own like oh that's what I'm telling myself okay and then like and is that true right like is that really happening oh, no no you know and and being able to see it that way like oh I'm doing that I'm saying that I'm creating that mm -hmm. and so I think it's especially when it's especially I see for a lot of high achievers when they create that story that meaning it's it's very rarely a reflection of it, it like it really typically reflects the deeper core beliefs of I'm not worthy I'm stupid I'm not enough it's like it's very reflective of them personally so how do you how do you shake up those core identity beliefs that that really when somebody creates a story that creates meaning about doing the dishes and suddenly their partner giving them feedback is like, well, that he must think I'm stupid because he's told me this like six times or, you know, those, those sort of perceptions. How do you, how do you shake the frame on those identity beliefs? Well, if you're saying like, so when in the same example, then if somebody's saying, you know, when you don't do the dishes, I get angry and think you don't love me kind of thing. Right. Well, um, I mean, uh, uh, more for, more for the person receiving that. 
So the person, yeah, so the person receiving hears, oh, I didn't do the dishes to your standards. And thus that means I'm stupid because he's, he, he says he's told me this like five times already or gotcha. whatever the, the criticism is when they turn it into a personal offense, mm -hmm. how do you shake the frame? So it's no longer, it's no longer attached to their identity of the fears of who they think they are like stupid or, or mm -hmm. not perfect or all of those. And instead shift it to a behavior because people yeah. are not their behaviors. That's right. Um, that's a great question. Okay, now I'm understanding you. So, yeah, I just asked them. So, how are you? Well, one, if they're not doing the dishes, I ask, what is keeping you from doing the dishes? Right. And so then you can learn, you know, what are you telling yourself when she makes these requests or expresses her frustration? You know, how do you receive that? And I just ask and listen. And you know, if it is feeding into that story, you know, like where else have you experienced this? And if it is, you know, well, she sounds like my mom, you know, or my dad, and that's what I hear. And so when I feel that way or think that way, I shut down. Right. So yeah. And then you just explore it some more and ask to shift that and, and say, well, are you willing to acknowledge that this, that this present moment doesn't mean what you've experienced or what you, you know, shaped from those experiences as you're from mom or dad. And so can you acknowledge that that is not happening in this current moment? So again, shifting the focus to what is actually happening, happening in the present versus the old story and those old experiences, but honoring it to acknowledge that, Hey, that must've hurt you then, but that is still showing up for you now. Are you ready to release that? And I like to just shift that and and bring it into the current reality. How often do you see that people's like four-year-old selves is like showing up in their relationships? Like the four-year-old <laughs> inner child who was hurt or like how often, cause I see it like the more throughout our conversation, I've just heard like, oh my gosh, I know so many business owners who their like six-year-old hurt inner child is running their multi-six figure company or multi-million dollar company like it's, oh, it's like, i've seen you've that got a six-year-old in the driver's seat right now <laughs> well yeah i think that can come out sometimes when you know if they're corrected or they don't feel i would just say some of the things i've observed if you know if it kind of touch on anything where we don't feel smart or valued have attention things like that. It can look like a tantrum, right? Uh, people can be aggressive. I've seen the name calling and things like that, but it is just rooted in that protection, right? That I haven't felt safe enough, or I feel like I have to be earning and doing and excelling and being admired to have any meaning or worth, right? So that's where I, I tend to see some of those extreme more childlike tantrums. Um, well, that's what's coming to me at the moment, but I'm not saying that's the only case by any means. But um, again, we will tend to go into, right, fight or flight, freeze, flee, you know, just, well, that's the flight, freeze or faint, fix, right? Like, so, so a lot of people always want to fix, 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 fix. Like, that's just the automatic thing to, um, 
because they feel so uncomfortable in stressful situations or with conflict. And then we avoid and, um, you know, you do it, you do it, you do it. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And, you know, that can be patterns a lot. And so we, you know, definitely explore that as well. Like, well, where did that start, you know, and help bring meaning back to, you know, that your needs matter, you're about, you know, who are you to have a sense of self? So, you know, people can feel their power, right. And, and have a sense of self, some agency to say, this is who I am, what I'm about, and I can experience myself and in, in this space, my reality and know that it's okay. Mm. Angel, I have loved our conversation. Are you ready to get into a little bit of rapid fire? Awesome. Sure. Okay. Bring it Who on. Is your, bring <laughs> it on. Who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Oh, shoot. Boy, you're good at rapid fire. All right. My favorite female character in a book or movie book or movie and why well can it be a show yeah there's a couple so basically right now I've, I've been watching morning show and i don't know so like three of them just came to my to my mind have you seen that i don't know you're shaking your head uh-huh yep so definitely reese witherspoon and jennifer aniston and then of course um is it julianne margulies is that her real name yeah juliana margulies yeah um i like all those characters because they're just strong women who took ownership Right. And came out of the very things that we're talking about. I love when they bring that to, you know, TV, to movies, and they talk about the hard stuff. So each of those ladies have an aspect of, you know, handling painful emotions, you know, being criticized by the public and being enmeshed in an addicted family and also maybe having some tendencies of narcissism and, you know, out for yourself kind of thing and, and really, shining and having those moments where she took ownership that was Jennifer Aniston's um, character and you know just stood in her truth and owned it and is willing to take what comes after knowing that she didn't behave in such nice ways for a very long time so I just mm. think it just proves that anybody can change and it speaks to that in that show and I just thought it was very powerful and I I just love strong women same here. What woman would you want to trade places with dead or alive just for one day? Like see their thoughts, be in their body, live their life, experience how they live life. Who would it be? Well, instinctively, Mother Teresa came up first and then I thought Oprah. So those are my two. I don't know. <laughs> That's such the perfect combination, though, of you. <laughs> like it was boom, boom. I don't know. <laughs> boom, boom. Awesome. What is your morning routine to set yourself up for success? Oh, I love this one. So it is, I have a glass of water and then my coffee with my devotional and pray. And then I have gotten out of this aspect, but that's always my morning there. And then, um, but I would like to move my body typically. And I was doing the five Tibetan rites for a while after my morning um, devotional time. And that part kind of got off track, but I'll get back to it. But I still do um, active, active things throughout the week, but 
my morning routine is set with enjoying my coffee, my time with my animals, my devotional, and starting my day. I'm curious about these five Tibetan rites. Oh, I love them. I love them so. I've never so, heard. I've never heard of that. What is it? Especially because you're you had the yoga and Pilates, right? Was it mm -hmm. just Pilates or yoga also? Just Pilates for me. I did. I've done yoga for years, but yeah, Pilates was my my jam. Awesome. I do love Pilates too. I haven't done it in so long. Um, so Tibetan rites is a lot like yoga. So the first move is spinning. So you stand and you just put your arms out and then you spin clockwise um, slowly and you start with five and then you go up to 21 and they say to increase by two every week. So, so that's one you, you spin. And then the second one, I might be out of order, but the second one is the J. So you lay on the floor and you like come up. So it'll be hard to do. There's five different moves. And then the third one is you are kneeling and then you, you know, do a stretch and then you are forward and then um, tabletop and then downward dog and like the whole move, the bend and the upward dog, upward dog mm -hmm. and downward dog. Yeah. Yeah, that is it like the plank or upward dog? Yeah, upward dog to downward dog. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Oh. And it's supposed to energize, you know, activate all your energy centers and everything. So the spinning one I'm curious about because I don't do, I don't fare well with spinning. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. But it did get easier as I was doing it. So yeah, you have to look in that and let me know what you think. I will. I will. What's your evening routine to set you up for an amazing morning? Hmm. So it is enjoying some type of hot herbal tea, usually sleepy time. And I watch a little bit of TV. <laughs> um, screen time. I know. You're human. You're human. I know. We're not supposed <laughs> to have the screen time before bed, but I still do it. But uh, nonetheless, I, I enjoy um, tea and that usually I can go right to sleep. So Awesome. What do you define to be your kingdom? I guess my home, um, you know, the time I spend meditating and, you know, giving thanks and connecting with God. And, but when I tap into just the gratitude and, you know, staying present and just really taking in my life at, right now is, it is such a amazing moment. Like I'm, I'm just filled with so much joy and gratitude and peace i mean it's a sincere uh, just a wonderful experience i would have never imagined that i could experience this because i had struggled for so long so i'm just amazingly happy all the time and i love being home and connected to my my partner which i've been teasing for a long time like i can call him my husband my fiance we're like we're married we're gonna get married i have no doubt remember we live like it already in every aspect and his love for God is beautiful but I just can't wait to call him my husband because he he is in my heart already but so he brings me a lot of joy oh beautiful and lastly how do you crown yourself hmm. I don't know I just crown myself daily like uh when I spend time you know meditating and giving my gratitude basically of just what I talked about I think that's how I crown myself. I, I give myself acknowledgement for my hard work and being where I am and knowing that it's okay to be right where I am, essentially. I don't need any, I don't need to be anything more. I don't need to 
do anything more, that everything is well and it's okay. Angel, where can we find you? How can we work with you? Plug yourself, queen. <laughs> you can find me at angelhiles.com and the email is listed on there. My The phone number where you can reach me at is on there. You know, therapy is an option. Coaching is an option. I will be planning um, events soon. So I'm super excited. I'm hoping to have a retreat for next year. And I would love for anybody that is you know, feeling moved in any way to reach out because you're not alone. There's just don't have to do it alone. Amen. As always, my fellow sovereigns, own your throne, mind your business because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.